This is Kingdom's Cornerstone News, a newscast produced for citizens of the kingdom that will have no end. A kingdom Jesus Christ will rule, a kingdom where his children will reign. I'm Jamie Kiever. Today is Tuesday, October 12, 2021. The Taliban are enforcing Sharia law in Afghanistan, becoming an urban police force in the capital of Kabul. Crime in the Afghan capital was rampant under the previous government of Ashraf Ghani, with robberies and kidnappings a near-daily occurrence. Now the Taliban have begun making their presence known daily in street patrols. Now, Back in the 90s, when the Taliban were in power, they offered the people of Afghanistan a trade-off. They brought the stability that Afghans yearned for, eliminating corruption, but at a severe cost, as the Taliban also imposed their harsh interpretation of Islamic law to include public executions and amputations. Over to the West African country of Mali, where a Catholic nun who was kidnapped by al-Qaeda operatives four years ago was released and is now free. Gloria Narviaz was kidnapped February of 2017 near Mali's border. She was held by al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb, which released several videos of her in captivity asking for help from the Vatican. The conditions of her release were not made public. Narviaz met with Mali's interim president and later made a statement thanking God and the Malian authorities for her release. Switching gears to domestic issues, a federal judge ruled against a natural immunity claim challenging the COVID-19 vaccine mandate. This according to the Epic Times, and we'll be sure to include a link to this article in the description. It reports the judge denied a request to block Michigan State University's vaccine mandate on the basis of natural immunity. Gina Norris, an employee at the school, was infected with COVID and recovered. She presented two antibody tests proving she was infected and has been told by doctors the vaccine is not necessary at this time. U.S. District Judge Paul Maloney, appointed by President Bush Jr., ruled the mandate didn't violate her fundamental rights, pointing to a Supreme Court ruling that happened back in 1905. Lawyers for Norris say she's considering legal alternatives. Over to Colorado, where a woman is being denied a kidney transplant because she's not vaccinated and won't be due to her personal convictions. There are children that um, were really sacrificed up for the advancement of medicine. And for me, I, as a sancti sanctity of life person, I can't move forward. Even though she's got stage five kidney disease that puts her at risk of dying without a kidney, Latali, 56, said she could not agree to be vaccinated because of the role that fetal cell lines have played and the development of vaccines. It is a fact there are people who have died from taking the vaccine. It is also a fact vaccinated people are still getting infected with COVID-19. These are facts the executive branch and big tech social media are determined to suppress. This is not science. This is tyranny. And this is the world we live in. We'll be right back. I've been an airline pilot for 18 years and now I'm facing an ultimatum. Not a choice, but an ultimatum. I'm being told in order to continue my career as an airline pilot, I must be vaccinated. Which really means I have to choose between putting food on the table for my family and my freedom of choice. Whether you believe in vaccination is the right thing to do or not, the situation goes far beyond health. We the American people have fought for freedom for 257 years. We go around the world spreading ideas of freedom and democracy. We help other countries and people fight for their freedoms while ours are being stripped away. You may think being forced to wear a mask or get a vaccination is insignificant, 
But when you begin to compile mandate after mandate and loss of freedom after freedom, it becomes very significant. As each thing is taken away, we face what is known as the shifting baseline syndrome. This syndrome changes our idea of a new and acceptable normal. Soon, we will not remember what it was like to have the freedoms we once did. Our children and our grandchildren will experience less freedom and they won't have the privilege or the pleasure to enjoy the same choices our parents had or that we have. If we give into these mandates and we do not stand up for our freedom of choice, we dishonor every armed service person over the last 257 years. A disservice to the people who have fought and bled for the very freedoms we enjoy. Whether you believe in vaccination or not, I'm standing up for your freedom of choice. You may support the vaccine mandates because they fall in line with your current beliefs. But if we let this happen now, there will be a day when what you're told to do will not fall in line with your beliefs. If we do not stand together and fight back in one voice, soon we could be told where to live, what job we will do, what religion to believe, and how many children we can have. Do you really want someone telling your children or your grandchildren what, when, and how they will live every minute of their lives? It's time we take a stance. It's time we fight for our freedom of choice while we still can. Join us. College campuses are among the most critical front lines of spiritual warfare there are. Nowhere are institutions more motivated and positioned to attack the faith of Christianity than on college campuses and higher learning institutions. And while it may seem like an uphill battle, there are those who are fighting back. Joining me today is Chloe Fulmer, a philosophy and psychology senior at the College of William and Mary. She's a pastor's kid who grew up in Dubai, and she's editor-in-chief of the Christopher Wren Journal and president of her school's pro-life group. And recently, how this whole thing got on my radar, Ms. Fulmer wrote an article in the Gospel Coalition about preparing teens for challenges to free speech, which of course, we'll link to in the description of this video. Ms. Chloe Fulmer, thank you so much for talking to us today about all this. Thank you for having me. Now, before we dive into the particulars of the article, can you explain why the article is even necessary in the first place and maybe what it's like on college campuses these days? Yeah, on my college campus, it's pretty hostile um, towards Christian, the Christian worldview in general, um, especially being very involved in our pro-life group. People vandalize anything we put on campus. Just this past week when we've been advertising for the first meetings for our club, posters have been ripped down. Um, really the biggest thing was last fall when we all went to a large chalkboard in the middle of campus and wrote pro-life messages um, such as, you know, love them both, support, women and children, things like that, not something inflammatory, um, but people still become outraged by that. Um, and so it's really, on my campus, it's really the students who kind of form this mob of wanting to bully you, especially during COVID, a lot of cyberbullying online. So it is a pretty hostile space. Yeah. Why is it important for parents to help their college students prepare to be faithful in the face of censorship and hostility? I think that to be able to 
withstand things like this, especially as young people. Um, we all are really craving the approval of our peers. We want to feel like we belong and things like that. Um, and so I think it's really important for us to be rooted in our faith if we expect to be able to fight back against these things because there is going to be a lot of backlash. And so I think that it is really important for parents to just prepare uh, students, future future college students to withstand that kind of pressure um, and help them be rooted in their faith and kind of root, rooted in apologetics as well before they go off to college. And this is one of the reasons why I just love the article that you wrote. You came up with six ways Christian parents can help their kids prepare for college. And the first thing you say is to teach your teens the importance of truth. And I'm curious why that was the number one thing. Why is this so critical? I think that sometimes Christians can shy away from the issues that are biblical, but are not maybe central to the gospel, um, or even just other issues, maybe political issues that are not explicit in the Bible, um, because we think that the gospel is the most important thing, which is true. But God also values truth in general. And so when we're discovering truth about the world, whether that's, um, you know, other truths that are in the Bible, which are obviously the most important, but then if we're discovering political truth or economic truth, scientific truth, whatever it is, um, God wants us to learn about his world and discover truth. So I think that aspect can be a little bit overlooked sometimes by people who want to avoid the controversial or even just keep the gospel really, really central. But you can still do that and value other truth in the world. Now, next, you say to engage seriously with different views. What's the takeaway here? And is this anything like apologetics training? Yeah, I think it is like apologetics training. Um, I think it is really important to read widely, talk to people who believe all kinds of different things. And uh, as I explained in the article, my parents growing up would kind of, when we were having family times of Bible discussion or reading a book, which I think is really, really important when just preparing your children to go out in the world, we would discuss kind of the objections to something we were reading. So I remember, you know, Paul in his letters has this focus on grace and James focuses on works and living out your faith. And so that was something I remember having a discussion about with my dad. He was kind of saying, well, doesn't this contradict one another? Because they're saying different things. Paul is saying everything is grace, but then James is saying we also need to perform works that show our faith. And so we would have discussions like that about responding to possible objections toward our faith. And a lot of times I didn't know what to say, but I was able to learn in the home from my parents. So I wasn't encountering things for the first time when I got to college. 
Excellent. Now, your next point is to model the love, humility, and compassion of Christ. And while this is really something we should be doing all the time, why is this so important in the context of preparing your Christian teen or your Christian young adult, I should say, for college? I think that when you are in a hostile environment, if we strongly believe in our faith and we have a Christian worldview, um, intellectually, it can be easy to have a resentful heart towards people who are maybe bullying us or pressuring us, making us feel uncomfortable. And I just think that more important even than our intellectual beliefs is just our heart towards other people. We always want to be compassionate and humble and we never want to consider ourselves better than people who disagree with us because really the only reason that we're saved is completely just God's work in our lives. So we have done nothing to contribute to our salvation. We're not any better than anyone else. And we also want to display that to other people so that they can really understand um, the heart of the Christian faith, which is just God's love and grace toward us, which is completely undeserved. You also talk about the importance of church. Uh, what do you mean by that? And why is that so important? I think that the local church is really, really important to the Christian life. And I think sometimes it's undervalued among college students in particular. Um, they're often a lot of campus ministries or Christian resources, which are great, but those are not prescribed in the New Testament, whereas the local church is. And so I think it is so important for us to be a part of diverse multi-generational churches where we're around other Christians from different generations than us, uh, different walks of life, and we can just see them living out their faith. And I think for me, it's really been a lifesaver to be a part of my church because I, when I'm struggling with these things or dealing with these things, I can talk to someone who's 50 as opposed to 20, and they have a very different perspective. They've been through the same things. Um, they can kind of teach me and give me that support, and I can see that, okay, they've been through this. They've survived, whether it's something big like being bullied on campus or just like a little conflict within one of my friendships, um, there is a lot of wisdom that we can gather from other Christians. And um, especially within that, like I said, multi-generational dynamic, just seeing other people's lives that look different from us, but they're still living it for the glory of God. Absolutely. Now, a couple times you've mentioned prayer, but you also talk about it in your article and not just praying for your teens, but praying with your teams. This seems to be pretty obvious, but the article brings up an excellent point about Psalm 73 and Asaph. Maybe you can share what you were talking about with that, uh, with us. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think that it does seem really obvious, but at the same time, I think often it's not our reflex when someone comes to us with a problem, um, maybe your child is struggling, they're being bullied, or they just feel uncomfortable in a hostile college environment. Um, 
it's not always our reflex to just immediately pray about it. We usually want to figure out how to solve the problem or provide some sort of emotional support. Um, but we can't do that better than God can. So I think that um, it is just a good habit to get into of immediately praying and then kind of providing our own advice. Um, but what I was talking about in the article, Psalm 73, I think this has been a really impactful part of scripture for me dealing with these issues because Asaph is talking about how the wicked seem to prosper, whereas the righteous or um, those who have relationships with God will suffer in the world. Um, and he's kind of lamenting that fact. But then there's kind of this shift in the middle of the psalm, and he talks about going into the sanctuary of the Lord, and his attitude sort of shifts as well, because seeing the face of God metaphorically when he um, is just praying to him and having communion with him, it really changes his heart and his outlook. And I think it does for us too, which goes back even to the uh, point about prayer, because when we are feeling that same type of lament that Asaph was feeling and we turn to the Lord and remember what he's done for us and remember what we ultimately deserve, we don't deserve to be prospering like the wicked and things like that. And so it's, again, just really important to have God at the center of everything. And when we turn to him, um, he's able to shift our whole perspective on life um, where we can see it more clearly. The sixth and final point is to keep the gospel central. Why is it so important that young Christians understand their identities are in Christ in the context of the gospel? I think it's important for many reasons. And one of them is that we can get easily caught up in certain issues that do have a strong biblical basis. Um, so we can get caught up in advocating for the pro-life issue or um, racial justice or things like that, that clearly the Bible supports, but those are not the gospel. And ultimately, we don't have to feel like we need to evangelize everybody into our pro-life beliefs or whatever other um, beliefs we have based on our biblical worldview. Ultimately, what's most important is their hearts um, more so than their behaviors or their intellectual beliefs. Um, we need to value the gospel and sharing the gospel more than we value sharing anything else because we might be um, saving lives here on earth or, um, you know, helping people, serving people, but that is not more important than their eternal destiny. So we need to be doing both of those things, but just keep in mind that this world is not eternal and it's just a temporary home for us. Also, I think, again, with the gospel being rooted in our identity in Christ, like you said, um, that is just going to give us a lot of comfort when other people, we don't feel like we have support from other people. We can realize that our identity isn't in if other people love us or even if we 
are doing a good job advocating for some sort of issue, if we're doing a good job sharing the gospel with people, ultimately our identity is in Christ and the fact that he died for us and took on our sin. And um, now we have freedom in him because we're saved by grace. And so like my pastor often says, um, he will never love us more than he does now and he'll never love us less than he does now. Our performance won't shift his love for us. So when we're rooted in that truth and we really know that um, we're saved by grace and we have God's favor favor for that reason, um, we can just center our lives around him a lot more and give thanks to him rather than maybe feeling discouraged based on our own performance, which is always going to fail. Absolutely. It's definitely a confidence booster when you really are focusing on the gospel and your identity being in Christ. No matter what happens, you know that he's got your back. Now, we mentioned earlier at the top of the show that you're editor-in-chief of the Christopher Wren Journal. Is it okay to share that link and maybe you can tell us a little bit about the kind of content we can expect to find from that? Sure. So I am the editor-in-chief of the Christopher Wren Journal. It's the website is renjournal.com. Ren is spelled W-R-E-N journal.com. Um, it's not explicitly a Christian newspaper, but it's a newspaper at my campus, the College of William and Mary. And we write articles about things that happen on campus, which often can get pretty controversial, what with all the pro-life vandalism and things like that. Um, but we are writing most of us from a more conservative perspective, although we're very open to different views. Really, we're just trying to promote intellectual diversity, which is not often welcome on college campuses, especially ours. So obviously I'm writing always from a Christian worldview because that's what informs me most in my beliefs. Um, but yeah, that's that's what we do there. Well, I gotta say, I am just so impressed with your work and passion. I just love seeing young people walking with and serving God passionately. You wrote a great article, and again, we're going to link to that in the description. Thank you so much for calling in, and please keep us in the loop on all of your articles. Thank you so much. If it weren't for Christian Student Fellowship on the University of Kentucky's campus and Chi Alpha Christian Fellowship at the University of Central Florida, I would not enjoy the faith and walk with God that I do today. I believe campus ministries are so important that if I know of someone who's going to college and needs or wants to get plugged in, I'll do the legwork for them. I'll reach out to a campus ministry I know will guide them in the right direction and get that connection started. I've done it before and I'll do it again. And it's something you too can do. Chloe Fulmer's article about free speech comes at an interesting time because the last episode of Kingdom's Cornerstone News about the COVID-19 vaccine and Mr. Ramirez's son who died five days after taking it, well, he was censored by GoFundMe and Facebook, and that show, last week's episode of Kingdom's Cornerstone News, was also censored. YouTube removed it, saying it was misinformation. They didn't say exactly what was misinformation, probably because there was none, but they did take the show down. There was nothing in that show that was a lie or misleading. The problem is it sheds light on an inconvenient truth. 
that a very small number of people who get the vaccine will die because of the vaccine. YouTube doesn't want you to know that and they won't let you discuss it on their platform. Folks, I'd like to highly encourage you to watch the show on our main website, kcn.dekeev.com. I've made it incredibly difficult for that source to be censored. We no longer live in an era where critical thinking and independent thought are celebrated. The government, with the backing of social media tech companies, have become the arbiters of truth. Their agendas are obvious, and this does not bode well for Christianity as a whole. However, one fact we can rest in and even garner some hope from is that all of this is foretold. The calamity, the persecution, it's all spelled out in this book dating back 4,000 years. And no, the end of this age is not going to be a pleasant time for Christians. Jesus tells us as much. He says that creation moans with labor pains and all of this must take place. The Bible called it and it's playing out exactly as described. The good news? Jesus is coming back, and those who are attacking our religious liberties will be forced to take a knee and confess Christ is King. It will be much scarier for them at that time than it is for us right now. The Bible also has a plan for salvation and redemption, a path that starts with a friendship with God that begins an adventure that will never end. It comes with a citizenship to a kingdom that will never end a kingdom that will far surpass our own government and big tech. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is our show for you today. Don't forget kcn.dekeed.com to reliably watch the show each week, not just when YouTube will let you. I'm Jamie Kiever. Thank you for watching Kingdom's Cornerstone News. We'll see you next week.